Kanye is is Fox man. I, I'm just, I'm just saying. You know, I, I was talking to the girls, you know, and, and we we don't put enough emphasis on the ladies sometimes. You know, I was talking to this girl. She was talking about the music all fast in the club. You know, she got to drink water because she thirsty. She done dance like ninety two hundred songs back to back, but ain't nobody. You know, really f- try to find out what she feeling, like how she feel. You know, you know, you know what she told me. Are you gonna she, she told. Gonna t- be check it out. This is what she said. She said, oh oh, 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 oh. She says she wants some more again. Some Luther Van Jones, a little Lenita, but definitely set this party on Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. My name is Jasmine, and I'm here this week with my good friend Matthew. Hello, Matthew. Hello, Jasmine. Uh, and at the top of the hour, you heard um, Jamie Foxx's chorus for the song Slow Jams. I just want to put out some healing vibes for Jamie Foxx. He has a special place in my heart as a you know, black millennial of a certain age, you know, so we're hoping he pulls through. Uh, whatever his recent medical complication was. So get well soon, Jamie. And we are recording this on tax day, kind of, sort of. I think they changed it to like the 18th or something because it fell on a weekend. Yeah, I think Um, they bump it to Monday. Yeah, but it's the most wonderful time of the year. Um, So we are recording on Saturday, April the 15th, but you're listening to this for the first time on Sunday, April the 16th. Um, So yeah, it's a great cloudy day in New York. Nice day to lay low, take it easy. Yeah, it's at least today we can keep the windows open. It's a little too hot. I did have to turn on the air conditioner yesterday. It got a little warm. Um, and with our senior dog, she got she gets a little overheated, so right. we had to keep it a little cooler. She was panting on her walks. Oh, she was not pleased at all. <laughs> I mean, I was struggling too. It was like almost ninety degrees. In, yeah, we you know, mid April. Yeah, you. We had texted a bit about it, but I went on a on a run because it felt like New Mexico. Uh, which isn't a good thing, but it reminded me of being back home in the desert. I was like, oh, it reminds me of my distance running back home. Um, but yeah, not not ideal for this time of year in this uh, geographical area. Right. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, it's freaky, but unfortunately, it seems like we're going to have more and more of those freaky weather days here and everywhere else in the world. I wish I had saved it, but I saw this infographic um, that was that showed where spring showed up at various parts of the country, um, and I believe it sh- arrived really early here um, along the east and southeast coast, um, and then in California it arrived like two weeks late. It was an interesting infographic, and I was like. But it was also talking about the further implications of climate change and how seasons are being shifted and weather patterns are being shifted, which affects migration. I was like, oh, okay. And I think I looked away because it got further existential. And I was like, oh, my God, not great. (laughs) Yeah, not great at all. So. (laughs) (laughs) But anyways. (laughs) And anyways, back to the program. So for our local news, we'll be talking about 
Um, the NYPD bringing back robotic dogs. For national news, we'll be discussing Missouri uh, enacting a restrictive ban on gender-affirming care for trans people. And for world news, which is sort of a good news story, um, some recent peace talks in Yemen. And so I will be doing the local news. So most of this information comes from New York One. This was written by Arnold Davick on April the 12th. Uh, The title is NYPD Brings Back Robotic Dog Unveils Other High-Tech Security Devices. Three high-tech devices, two of them robots, are joining the ranks of the NYPD. We have maximized public and officer safety through emerging technology, and that approach continues today. NYPD Police Commissioner Keechan Sewell during a press conference in Times Square Tuesday said, One of the devices is the K-5 Autonomous Security Robot, which will patrol designated areas, according to law enforcement. Officials described its movement akin to that of a Roomba vacuum. The K-5 uses artificial intelligence to provide real-time incident notifications to first responders, said NYPD Chief of Department Jeffrey Madry. The next device is the Star Chase GPS tracking system. It comes in a handheld form or attached to a vehicle. Officers can use it to launch GPS trackers, trackers on cars they're trying to stop instead of engaging them in a chase. Police recently used it to make an arrest for a stolen car in Queens. The final device is the DigiDog. The four-legged robot will be sent into dangerous situations, allowing officers to assess and respond from a distance, according to Mayor Eric Adams. If you have a barricaded suspect, you have someone that's inside a building that is armed, Adams said during the news conference. Instead of sending police officers in there, you send DigiDog inside there. The DigiDog may seem familiar. That's because it was introduced during the de Blasio administration. The contract, however, was cut short after strong criticism. After the announcement, criticisms are pouring in once again. On a social media page for the mayor's office, one person commented, can we feed and shelter the homeless? We don't need this. We need our libraries, wrote another user. The cost of the new tech is part of the controversy as city agencies are being told to reduce their budgets by 4%. The Legal Aid Society criticized the announcement in a statement. Mayor Adams continues to pour money into the NYPD's bloated budget, enabling police to impose new dystopian surveillance technologies throughout the city without meaningfully engaging New Yorkers in a conversation about whether this is how we want to live. According to officials, the $770,000 project is funded with forfeiture money and existing NYPD funding, not new money being allocated to the department. All the devices will be operated by officers who are specially trained and part of the Technical Assistance Response Unit, otherwise known as TARU, police say. The pilot program is expected to launch in the summer and last for for seven months. Uh, and this is some more information from a uh, PBS News Hour. Uh, this was written by Karen Matthews. Uh, this is, I'm not going to read the whole thing; just some excerpts. Uh, robotic police dog DigiDog rejoins NYPD. 
Uh, and jumping ahead, Adam said he won't bow to anti-robot dog pressure. A few loud people were opposed to it and we took a step back. The mayor said, that is not how I operate. I operate on looking at what's best for the city. The autonomous security robot, which Adams compared to a Roomba, will be deployed inside the Times Square subway station in a seven-month pilot in the summer, police said. Civil libertarians and police reform advocates question the need for the high-tech devices. Ileana Mendez Panate, program director of Communities United for Police Reform, says the NYPD is buying robot dogs and other fancy tech while New Yorkers can't access food stamps because city agencies are short-staffed, and New Yorkers are getting evicted because they can't access their right to counsel. Albert Fox Kahn, executive director of the Surveillance Technology Oversight Project, said the NYPD is turning bad science fiction into terrible policing. New York deserves real safety, not a knockoff RoboCop. So yeah, I was um, dismayed to see this coming back into the news. Um, and if you're not familiar, they're saying that uh, this is being funded using forfeiture. So that means, you know, people who, whether they've been charged or not, but like if the cops claim that they think some of your assets or money or whatever is through a criminal activity, they just take it for themselves. So it's entirely possible that you could just have cash in your home from a job or something or that someone gave you. And, you know, if they enter your house, they'll just snatch it from you. And now that money is being used for this. Uh, And from like a lot of reports and stories, it's the amount of money that makes it into the actual cataloging and the booking and not just the pockets of the people who are finding it and taking it out of citizens, taking it away from citizens. So many stories of people uh, just being robbed. Uh, no crime, nothing, but they were quote-unquote suspect and they have the right to kind of take, seize it. Um, Adams is a menace to the city. Um, really wished he had stayed in Jersey. But this is really scary. One, they just got a huge pay raise, so... They're going to be paying these people so much money to be uh, operating these robots. The cops are paid astronomically already. Billions of dollars more going to them. Um, but I immediately think of when these robots are handed over to like the militarized police, that um, it's akin to drones and drone strikes. Um, the removal of humanity behind the murdering of others. Um so many people are just going to be, it's going to be so much easier, I feel like, to murder citizens using these robotic creatures um, and putting them into these very intense situations where they're like, oh, it'll save the cops, but the cops aren't, they're going to kill the people. I don't know. I feel like it's going to be horrific. It's going to increase the amount of people murdered by the NYPD. Um, and they just keep getting more money. And if none of the politicians are standing up to them, um, people keep asking and trying to liken it to like, why aren't you rioting like in France? And it's because our police, the local police cops are a militarized gang. (laughs) It's really hard to fight them. Yeah. 
Yeah, it is. And also there is a lot of erasure that happens when people make those statements because there's 100% people protesting like you see in France. Like look at what happened in 2020 with, you know, the racial justice protests. Look at what's happening with Cop City now where people are being mass arrested and labeled terrorists for saying that they don't want a police training ground for killing to overtake a forest. And then people that just happen to be in the wrong place at the wrong time, like they're getting locked up on these very uh, shocking charges of being terrorists. Like there are absolutely people who are protesting and trying to fight back. But like you're saying, you know, there's all this money going to beefing up police forces while at the same time, money that is needed sorely to actually meet human needs is being taken away um the further cuts uh, that was just reported i think i don't even remember what the um order of reporting was but it was announced by adams to make further like another four percent cuts across like city budgets and stuff and then like the libraries are already being defunded here um they were ordered to cut millions and they're already scraping by whatever they were getting um then the announcement that Adams made this generous contract agreement um, with the uh, police union that is retroactive raises and pay bumps. And it's just like the kids can't eat in the city. Like we have homeless people who need shelter. They need to be given money and like substantial wage to live. Um, and it's all going to the cops. And although those cops are living outside the city, they hate us. It's like our police force get um, trained in every day to come harass us and then get back out into the suburbs of Long Island City or Long Island and uh, New Jersey. They're everywhere. Um, there's not like one train station where the cops aren't these days. And it's terrifying. I hate it. I really hate it. I hate seeing them everywhere. I hate this introduction of using AI and all of this high tech surveillance bullshit. Because as we know, like these things are, yes, they're robots, they're computers, but they're programmed by human beings. So all of the same biases and everything that human beings have are going to be baked into these machines you know so if you're doing like we all know how it is like um that comedian zach fox he made a post years ago where he's like the image is like about a white man with his wife and kids like jet skiing smiling and he was like this is the picture that the news uses when a white man kills his whole family you know, meanwhile, it, you never see anything similar when it's a black person. Yeah. And I'm like, what do you think that does? Like with these things where like they're running images from the internet through these things to predict who is and who isn't a criminal, what type of effect do you think that's going to happen on the way this technology is used? It's and, clear. Yeah. And the racists have like such a strong propaganda machine that so much of their time is spent to overwhelm those searches and stuff. So it gets fed that stuff. Um, yeah, back in undergrad, like I did some cognitive uh, psycho, cognitive neuroscience, something, it was in the lab, um, but it, it was a lot of like implicit biases and stuff. Um, and did a lot of like research on testing of eye movement, um, 
whenever you're searching for racism or biases or prejudices that like are not just something that you can observe but can be measured um and it's like of course it's going to be influenced <laughs> um yeah it's a very scary time i i think i saw no it was a video of some of the protesters at the tennessee um congress where they're protesting um as they were leaving all of the marshals were surrounding the staircases to intimidate them but the thing that really caught my eye was one of them at the bottom of the stairs uh had their body cam on and you could see the red camera thread lights on and it looked like he was recording them as they were all walking down and all i thought was they have now have their faces recorded those people are, can be and will be harassed because they will now be fed into a database or something. And I was like, no one, it, it's a very scary time. So I'm on, when I'm on the train, I have my N95 mask on for safety uh, and protection on multiple fronts at this point, because they, yeah, we're everywhere. Uh, it's, it's a scary time for surveillance and personal <laughs> safety as well. Yeah, because, you know, COVID is still out here snatching folks and more and more causing long-term health problems. So there's that. But then also, you know, not being recorded everywhere you go is another great reason to wear a mask. Um, But before we move on from this story, um, I just want to remind people that the, the mayor clearly does not care about what we think. um, And we do not want to live in an environment where your elected officials feel that they have zero accountability to you. They don't have to acknowledge when you don't want something like just the way that he's talking is extremely dangerous. Like this dictatorial way of speaking is not normal. It's not okay. And when you have all of these essential services and things that would actually help to lower crime and, you know, make this a place more people can thrive, being starved but then you're having these violence workers which is what police are being beefed up at every chance you need to wake up that this is a problem it's a crisis and um, the city council is uh, responsible for like putting some checks and stuff on what the mayor does so please if you're a new york city resident be alert to who your city council representatives are, be in touch with them, make your voice heard because they can absolutely like veto things that he's doing. You know, they can, they have at least some power that you as an individual may not have. So please look into that. Um, the city, uh, dot NYC, they just put out, um, something about the police contract adding to the city's labor costs and how the city council is, you know, kind of facing off with Adams about this and other cuts that he's making. So we encourage you to read that and, you know, find out ways that you can get involved in pushing back against this because, you know, dystopian is definitely the correct word. Like it's very Fahrenheit 451 or whatever other, you know, scary future novel you can think of, that stuff is coming alive before our eyes. And yeah, you make a good point. The council members are also local and they, I mean, usually if they're not so corrupt, they live in the area that you reside in. So they are approachable and you can definitely make your voice heard. They're the people who are representing you because you live there. They have a voice. They can veto this. Um, We have power. 
Right. So again, you're listening to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. And for our first musical break, this is The Smiths with Shoplifters of the World Unite. We'll be right back. Learn to love me, assemble the way. Now, today, tomorrow, and always. My only weakness is a list of crime. My only weakness is, well, never mind, never mind. Short lifters of the world. provide a free and open platform to our community and promote media literacy, education, free expression, and public art. We rely primarily on donations from listeners like you. Every dollar helps us stay on the air and allows us to continue our work in the community. We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization, so all contributions are tax deductible. Please support with a monthly pledge or a one-time donation at radiofreebrooklyn.org donate. Welcome back to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. And up next, here's Matthew with our national news story. Hello, everybody. Um, Today's news story is going to be about the awful news coming out of Missouri. Uh, The headline is, Missouri AG directly cites the New York Times anti-trans coverage to justify horrific new ban. The article is written by Jack Doyle, published April 14th. 2023 at 6.18 p.m., and I am reading this from the MarySue.com website. starts with, I hope they're happy. The Attorney General of Missouri has issued an emergency rule which will make it it effectively impossible for trans people of all ages to receive gender-affirming care. What is an emergency rule? An emergency rule is a policy that an Attorney General can enact when they deem their state to be in a state of emergency. Apparently, the existence of trans people seeking medical care constitutes as much. The rule stipulates that trans people will not be allowed to receive gender-affirming care unless they have had a gender dysphoria diagnosis for over three years and have been in therapy for over 18 months. The rule bars people diagnosed with autism or depression from gender-seeking affirming care entirely. And there are Missouri AG cited a New York Times article to justify this. This isn't the first time that the New York Times has fallen into hot water for profligating anti-trans bias. Far from it. 
They have changed the headlines of articles that are in support of trans people while leaving articles that approach trans issues with much with more scrutiny alone. Many of their articles that take an quote, objective look at trans issues end up painting life-saving treatments like puberty blockers in a dubious light, causing readers to question whether or not such procedures are safe for trans kids at all. The bias has gotten so bad that the New York Times recently received a letter signed by hundreds of queer contributors outright condemning it. How did they respond? By posting a J.K. Rowling is right opinion piece the very next day. It's disturbing to note that a major publication located in one of the USA's most trans-friendly cities has shown such open hostility to trans people. It's even more disturbing that this hostility under the guise of objective journalism has led politicians and legislators to put increasingly draconian laws against trans people in place. The article that was referenced in the Missouri AG's emergency rule was the New York Times' The Battle Over Gender Therapy, which is as blatant as both sidesism can get without actually saying the phrase. The New York Times continues to frame the issue of gender transition as one that leaves the medical community deeply divided, despite most major medical associations saying otherwise. The president of the American Medical Association himself has asserted that trans youth should be allowed to seek out gender-affirming care without bias, and yet the New York Times has decided to remain purposefully ignorant of the opinions of professionals. This is not an affront. This is not an effort to remain unbiased on the New York Times part. It is an effort to stay in the political center in order to appeal to the readership. Support of trans issues falls outside of the center, and so the New York Times continues to distance itself from them. They can continue to stick their heads in the sand, but sooner or later they will have to reconcile with the fact that their journalism is contributing to the erosion of the rights of trans people, who are already well aware of their bias to begin with. Um, so this author has cited the president of the American Medical Association, um, and this statement... I found it because it was linked in here. Um, and I want to read this closing statement. Um, it's under the header, Importance of Gender-Affirming Care. Every meta- And this is the Dr. Um, Jack Resnick, uh, Jack Resnick Jr., MD. Every major medical association recognizes the vital role of gender-affirming care in improving the physical health and mental well-being of transgender individuals. Widely accepted standards of care and clinical guidelines recommend a staged process for transgender minors that enable young people to explore and live the gender that they choose while keeping options open. Studies have consistently demonstrated that providing gender-affirming care that is both age-appropriate and evidence-based leads to improved mental health outcomes. Conversely, denying such care is linked to a greater incidence of anxiety, depression, and self-harm. For these and other reasons, it is imperative that transgender minors be allowed to explore their gender identity under the safe and supportive care of a physician. Our AMA has partnered with the Fenway Institute um, and a few other organizations. But basically, the point of saying access to these uh, services are so vital and important, um, and so many people, so many trans individuals have stated that without access to this health care, um, they would have had such a different course in life. Um, and you've heard, I've heard so many testimonies at different um, legislations and different bill signings where parents of trans kids are coming and saying, we had no idea what this world was, but we sought help and we've had nothing but supportive care for our kid. Um, 
and all of these horrible conservatives and Democrats in many instances are just coming at the trans community so hard. Um, and we really have to start fighting these things harder. Um, and even in these things, they are they are not necessarily laws, but I believe there are plans for them to be sued. Um, and there is Planned Parenthood doing pop-ups um, until this rule is enacted uh, within Missouri um, for gender-affirming care to provide as much service as they can um, until they are kind of cut off. So that's where things are coming out of Missouri, um, and the trans community really needs a lot of help out there right now. Yeah, just it's horrible, like this, and then combined with what you see coming out of Florida with um, just very hard, aggressive moves to the extreme far right with stoking violence and then approving like state violence against people who are not cisgender who are not straight it's a very terrifying time and personally like i've decided like i'm not gonna read the new york times anymore like if i see something it's almost a habit you see a link you click the link i don't care what the topic is you can find news about it somewhere else because that publication, it's been so harmful, not just on this issue, but this issue is like one of the most glaring ones where it's like, are you kidding me? Like the letter that came out with all the people um, calling them out on how harmful their anti-trans turn has been, the way that the paper responded was so disgusting and so on the wrong side of history with this. Like, you know, and it goes to show you these are not neutral, harmless things. You know, the things that you say and that you put out there, it gets put into someone's arsenal to back up actions that will kill people, period. And it's not just in Missouri that it's popped up. It's like, well, the New York Times said blah, 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 blah. And then that's being used as justification to cut off a lifeline for people, you know, so it's not it's not like there's no consequence to supporting this shit there is you know and like they have like they've already had blood on their hands like since before me and you were born i mean from the way they covered the holocaust how they covered the aids crisis horrible things that they've allowed to run about like mike brown's murder covid you know it's They've said it right in this article that they're all tr about trying to chase this imaginary center. It's like, well, when you have people that are so far on the wackadoodle right right now that are in seats of government, guess what happens when you're in the center or chasing the center? You are to the right. You're moving further and further in that direction and you're dragging people to that direction and giving it a veneer of legitimacy. Because the other... This other myth, like this other mythological side that they think that is logical and they're insane, isn't there? It's a mirage. Um, there's they have no no. There's nothing for them on their side for in this fight. They say it's about children. No, it's not. They're not funding child services. They're not funding public education. They're not funding mental health and like services for people and children in schools. 
they are protecting the pastors of their states that are actually doing the molesting and the grooming. But if they can make a rise out of another villain, well, that's easier to cover because all of this is also linked to the reproductive uh, rights and discussion uh, with the, uh, how do you say it, Mifepristone? Mifepristone? Um, and the ruling against that, like it's all tied together and they are stoking hatred because they can hide everything else behind that and it's working and people get caught up in it. And then like, like you're saying, Jasmine, they have the coverage with the New York times to legitimize them, that they have a valid argument and they don't, they don't have an argument. Um, and it's just killing the queer community and our trans, uh, siblings uh and it it's it's very scary um yeah and it's it's troubling it's very troubling but yeah i think cutting off the new york times is is the step in the right direction yeah i don't know like i'm just one person but i i would encourage other people to consider that you know especially because this is like one of the most egregious examples of it right now because it is so blatant and extreme and there was such a clear call for them to change course that was you know well backed up tons of people were agreeing with it and for them to come so aggressively and defend the crap that they've been publishing is just there's no excuse there is no excuse because they've even it's it's even to the point where like they're not doing the basics of due diligence as like journalists with some of the people that they'll quote as being an expert or whatever and then come to find out it's like someone who's like definitely got an agenda or is like being funded by like these dark money forces or whatever or someone who has a reputation in the workplace where they're at for like being a rogue individual, you know, like, I don't remember her name. I don't even want to say her name, but like one of the people that they were quoting as like an employee of a gender affirming care, like clinic that was supposed to be the expert. It's like, people came out after they're like, what, like, what is she talking? Like people that were actual parents of Mm -hmm. children who had been there they came out and said like this person is not what they're saying does not represent at all what was happening with my child and all of that but they'll cherry pick someone like that and call it journalism and objectivity and it's like no like you are being a hate monger and because you're doing it and it's not fox it's not something people think of as like a right wing whatever you know, a lot of individuals see that and they think like, oh, well, it must be legit because it's in the New York Times. And it's really, you know, I just get so disgusted with that shit. And it, yeah, and it goes back, like, and they get sucked. I, I mean, I was, one of the, the article I was going to, I started reading for on this was from the New York Times. And as I read it, it was like, oh, and then the discussion about like, when is the right time? And I clicked the link further. I was like, oh no this is bullshit and then i looked online i looked onto twitter and they were talking about how the author is a sports writer for new york i was like oh they're just assigning anybody fucking to write about this topic um and it's absolutely ridiculous you can have you know and it happens a lot with black people or like issues with race and ethnicity it's like 
they'll take a white person and allow them to do mm-hmm. it because it's objective, but you right. can't write about something that you have intimate knowledge of as a member of that community. Like, hello. Right. Like, what does that tell you about who they think, like, whose view they think is valid? And all their major headline, major headliners, the people like of the finance, all probably white authors. I'm sure their top paid authors are all white, straight people. Um, they, yeah, it's it's really really harmful um and yeah i think we they get kind of thrown into this like they say it's about the kids and they're like oh their argument must have legitimate concerns behind it but then you take any look at some objective reporting and like they're it no it's not fair um any current conservative politician they're not passing any bills to help children um a lot of them are assaulters themselves. A few of them are on trial for um, misconduct. We saw, again, back at the Tennessee uh, uh, House, I think, um, where they wouldn't expel someone who had credible, not credible, they had admit, admitted on tape that they had assaulted um, young girls uh, early in their years as a coach and no expulsion for them. Um, and they keep so I don't know where we go. Um, we can't look to politics for this. We just we have to start fighting within our communities um, and locally. Um, call your politicians um, and keep fighting. Stand up for trans people around. Um, give money directly to organizations when you can. Um, yeah. And don't think that it's meaningless like to speak up or speak out when you hear certain types of arguments, like if it's your fam- your family, people at work, because it does make a difference and people hear you, you know, and those words, they reverberate out. Like as we can see, you know, they can be used as like ammunition to go after certain communities. So it might not seem like a big deal, but make a decision that you're not going to be a part of that. Yeah, and don't assume, you know, that you aren't around any queer people because they come in all shapes and sizes and forms. So being vocal is important, even if you don't think it is. Um, People are watching. um, And queer people are, like, kind of uh, survival instinct is to pay attention for those people who might be able to help um, in instances and stuff. So, yeah, stick up for people when you can. Okay, and we are going to go to our next musical break. Uh, You are listening to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn, and this is Lithium by Nirvana. We'll be right back. I'm so happy Cause today Found my friends They're in my head I'm so ugly that's okay, cause so are you Welcome here's Sunday morning It's every day for all I care And I'm not scared Light my candles in our days Cause I found God
to listen to Radio Free Brooklyn when you're not in front of your computer, please download our free mobile app for iPhone and Android, available in the App Store for iPhone or the Google Play Store for Android. Also, please be sure to subscribe to our monthly newsletter for the latest news about new programming and upcoming Radio Free Brooklyn events. You can sign up at radiofreebrooklyn.org forward slash newsletter. Welcome back to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. And for the world news story, um, this is some news out of Yemen about um, tentative peace talks. Um, so this is something I, I personally didn't know, um, but I, and I'm assuming many of our listeners also might not be aware. Uh, but often when you see news stories about Yemen, they will use the term Houthi, H-O-U-T-H-I, and um, Houthi originally refers to a particular Arab tribe in northern Yemen. So it's like an ethnic group of people. Um, but it'll be used, that name will also be used like colloquially or like as a shorthand to refer to a group whose official name is Ansar Allah uh, currently, which is an armed political organization in Yemen that originated in the 1990s. Uh, so many members of this political organization, uh, members of Ansar Allah, are actually, you know, ethnically Houthi, but not all of them. Uh, many members of this group are also uh, Zaidi Shia Muslims, but again, not all of them or exclusively. Uh, so for me, that was a bit confusing because, you know, it can seem like those things are interchangeable, but not everyone who is of that particular Arab tribe is also a part of this political group. Not everyone in this political group is a part of this particular um, tribe. 
This is background information about the conflict in Yemen from uh, 2018 from the BBC. Um, so I'm going to read that briefly. Uh, the conflict has its roots in the Arab Spring of 2011, when an uprising forced the country's longtime authoritarian president, Ali Abdullah Saleh, to hand over power to his deputy, Abdurraba Mansour Hadi. President Hadi struggled to deal with various problems, including militant attacks, corruption, food insecurity, and continuing loyalty of many military officers to Saleh. In 2014, the Houthi Shia Muslim rebel movement seized control of northern Sada province and neighboring areas. The Houthis went on to take the capital Sana'a, forcing Mr. Hadi into exile abroad. The conflict escalated dramatically in March 2015 when Saudi Arabia and eight other mostly Sunni Arab states, backed by the U.S., U.K., and France, began airstrikes against the Houthis with the declared aim of restoring Mr. Hadi's government. The Saudi-led coalition feared that continued success of the Houthis would give their rival regional power and Shia-majority state Iran a foothold in Yemen, South Saudi Arabia's southern neighbor. Saudi Arabia says Iran is backing the Houthis with weapons and logistical support, a charge Iran denies. Both sides have since been beset by infighting. The Houthis broke with Saleh and he was killed by Houthi fighters in December 2017. On the anti-Houthi side, militias include separatists seeking independence for South Yemen, and factions who oppose the idea. The stalemate has produced an unrelenting humanitarian crisis with at least 8.4 million people at risk of starvation and 22.2 million people, or 75% of the population, in need of humanitarian assistance, according to the UN. Severe acute mal malnutrition is threatening the lives of almost 400,000 children under the age of five. Yemen's health system has all but collapsed while the world's largest cholera outbreak has killed thousands. Um, and so that's some background information and this is uh, more of a current news story. Uh, this information comes from Reuters and was written by Aziz El Yakubi and Mohammed Algobari. Uh, and the title is Houthi Officials Says Yemen Peace Talks made progress, further rounds planned. The top negotiator of Yemen's Houthi movement said, peace talks with Saudi Arabia had made progress and further discussions would be held to iron out remaining differences. In a significant confidence building measure, the conclusion of talks in the Yemeni capital Sana'a was followed by an announcement on Friday from the International Committee of the Red Cross that the warring parties had begun an exchange of nearly 900 detainees. Saudi Arabia, which leads a coalition that has been battling the Iranian-aligned Houthis since 2015, is seeking a permanent ceasefire deal to end its military involvement in a war that has killed tens of thousands of people and left millions hungry. Houthi chief negotiator Mohammed Abdul Salam said on Friday, the negotiations with envoys from Saudi Arabia and Oman, which is facilitating the talks, had been serious and positive. 
There was advancement on some issues with the hope of continuing studying outstanding issues at another time, he said in a Twitter post without elaborating. The visit by the Saudi delegation, which departed Sana'a on Thursday, according to two Yemeni sources, signaled movement to build on an expired UN-brokered truce and followed last month's deal between Saudi Arabia and Iran to restore ties. Sources have told Reuters that the Saudi Houthi talks were focused on a ceasefire, full reopening of Houthi-controlled ports and Sana'a airport, payment of public sector wages, rebuilding efforts, and withdrawal of foreign forces from Yemen. And uh, this section is called Sticking Points. Two Yemeni sources, also speaking on condition of anonymity, said the parties could agree on an extended truce deal as they work out remaining differences. The main sticking points include payment of civil servant salaries, which the Houthis have insisted include armed forces, using oil revenue and a timeline for foreign forces to exit the country, three sources familiar with the negotiations said. The conflict in which the coalition intervened against the Houthis after they ousted the Saudi-backed government from Sana'a in late 2014 is a multifaceted one with several Yemeni factions vying for influence. The Houthis are de facto authorities in northern Yemen. The internationally recognized government is represented by the Political Leadership Council, or PLC, which was formed under Saudi auspices last year and took over power from Yemen's president in exile. The United Nations and the PLC are not directly part of the Saudi Houthi talks. The PLC was created to solidify the anti-Houthi bloc, but has been beset by differences among Yemeni factions. The Southern Transitional Council, a Southern separatist group that is part of the anti-Houthi alliance and the PLC, told Reuters it supported these peace initiatives but would not accept certain conditions. These include oil revenue sharing between the North and South, the merging of the two central bank branches, or the use of Southern resources to pay salaries, STC official Amir Al-Bid said on Tuesday. The conflict is widely seen as one of several proxy wars between Saudi Arabia and Iran, the region's Sunni, Muslim, and Shiite powers. They have agreed to restore diplomatic ties severed in 2016 as Riyadh moves to manage regional tensions and to focus on economic priorities. Um, so yeah, it was. Um, I was originally just going to go straight to the routers thing, but I wanted to um, also add some of the background context about what's going on. Like I know that um, whenever I see headlines about Yemen, it's typically about famine and, you know, just people being displaced and just horrible conditions that all the regular people are facing because of this protracted conflict. So it was good to know at least a little bit more. And again, I'm, I'm no expert, but to have a little more insight on who is at play. And I think it's a small piece of hopefully positive news like if the fighting ceases and you know soldiers are being taken out yeah i mean thank you for like reading through that giving the background because 
I feel very ignorant on like these global topics that are like affecting millions of people um, because we get so caught up in like our day-to-day lives. Um, we forget to sometimes take a step back and look at these big things. Um, yeah, I think anytime we can maybe get towards any sort of peace talks, that's a good step forward. Uh, so this is very hopeful news. Um, and it's so many people that get affected by these wars between these big governing bodies are regular people who have no say in any of this, who don't want any part of this, um, and are just kind of forced into these crises. I don't want to sound like an ignorant American, but I feel like I often am. I mean, most of us are. Like, I think it's very rare for someone, and it's it's almost, I would venture to say, it's not really possible, like, because this country that we live in is so deeply enmeshed and behind a lot of conflicts happening around the world that a lot of people just don't have any clue. Like they wouldn't know, like if you were to ask, I think the average American, like where we have military bases, they would just kind of look at you blankly, you know, and not be able to name them, you know, but unbeknownst to you, like in your name and like with, you know, our government's resources, you know, tax dollars. Yeah, like there's all types of things, you know, that are shaping other people's lives across the the world. So like we've been reading that part about how in 2015, I think the image to us is like, oh, it's Saudi Arabia, it's, you know, other countries in the Middle East. But what doesn't get as much coverage or isn't forefront to people's mind is that, you know, a lot of those actions are supported by Western governments. So it's not just Saudi Arabia, you know, doing the airstrikes like that was also supported by the United States government, um, even though it might not be in our way of thinking the face of what's happening, like we are in some way responsible for that. And I don't know, like anytime you are seeing like drone strikes, airstrikes, all of this, you know, I'm not gonna say I know enough about like the Houthi, like rebel government. Like, I'm not sure. I don't know enough to say like what their politics are, whether, whether I agree or disagree, but I know for a certainty that like when people can't get food, like you have missiles dropping, you know, just seeing the images of like children being malnourished, people unable to get medical care. I have no qualms with saying like that needs to stop. Like nothing good is coming of that. You know, if anything, it just drives like more desperation and more, you know, extreme reactions. And it's just, people trying to get from one day to the next that are suffering from it. So. Yeah. And to me, like even these, the people who are doing the peace talks and the negotiation, like the Saudi government, I mean, I'm pretty sure they're the ones who had executed an American journalist, um, like kind of at the hand of the, at the monarchy. You're talking about Khashoggi? Um, yeah. Um, so, and like kind of brokering peace, yeah, and it's like they're the ones who are controlling the oil reserves, fluctuating like the economies and the markets. And so these are like very deep intertwined conflicts that are so beyond many of us because they're complicated and nuanced. But um, yeah, it's good to kind of see some glimmer of hope that is recognizable to the layman um, 
who isn't directly involved in these things. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it's a basic thing to say, but I'm like, look, if just as a baseline, if the first step can be like talking things out and de-escalating just the violence happening, I feel like that's a welcome development in almost any conflict I can think of, you know, because this is so many years ongoing of this happening. And, you know, I'm I'm not saying, like, I don't know what they stand for or, like, how, you know, people are treated under their rule or anything, but I can definitely understand not wanting, like, an outside government sending soldiers to your home. I mean, that, that to me is a fairly understandable thing that you wouldn't want to have an invading force in your country for years. So just getting them out is a step somewhat in the right direction. It sounds reasonable at the very least. <laughs> like one demand at least that can be easily accomplished. Hopefully. Yeah. So fingers crossed for the people of Yemen that this does, you know, move in a more positive direction and that, you know, just the regular people are able to have like some sense of security back in their lives and, you know, see us the situation turn around for them nationally because it's it's really been a tragedy for a very long time. All right. So you have been listening to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. Stay tuned for more Brooklyn based community radio. And for our last song, this is Drive by Incubus. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye. Have a good day, everybody.